Amen. Well, good morning, TGC. We're sitting here with uh, Trevor and Aaron and Noah and Brooke and Johnny. So grateful. It's just interesting. I, I've said this every week, and I'll probably keep saying it, but uh, singing together, I've just understood Paul's words better in the last couple weeks than I probably ever have. Addressing one another, uh, Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You know, this, is how, this is how it's going. I'm standing over here, and Trevor's standing over here, and Aaron's standing over here, and we're facing each other, and we're singing to each other. I, I never quite understood what the apostle meant, but there's something about the, the, the vertical aspect of corporate worship. Yes, we are singing to God, the text clearly says, but we're singing to one another. That's what 5.19 says. Ephesians 5.19 says you're singing to each other. You are, you are reminding one another of the glories and the excellencies of God through his son, Jesus Christ. I can't wait to do that with you again. And just anecdotally, I, I noticed that I, I do weird things in worship that I didn't know I did. When we, when we just sang uh, the last song, we said, and, and Lord, haste the day when my faith will be, will be turned to sight. I say out loud, Lord, come quickly. I didn't know I did that. <laughs> but I guess I probably do that every time. And that's okay. You guys have patience with me. So we are turning to the, to the Revelation. And I know Trevor corrected you last week. It's not the book of Revelations. It's the Revelation. And there's seven letters here that we're going to look at. And the first one is to the book, uh, to the church in Ephesus, rather. This is the book of Ephesians. This is, this is the same church that, is being, that, that Paul wrote the letter to. Now John is writing a letter to them through the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus is speaking. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. And let me read it to you now. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who are called themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. It's positive. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet I have this, uh, excuse me, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has the ear, let him hear the Spirit, says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat a tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Let us pray. Father, we ask for the proclamation of your word. We ask, God, that you'd be with us all. You'd help me as I preach and that we would be enlightened as we see this text you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You see here, there's kind of a sandwich of sorts. 
he commends them <clears throat> for their ability to call out false apostles. At the end, he commends them for their condemnation of the Nicolaitans. But in the middle, he says, you're missing something. Here's the point of the sermon. You can be a doctrinalist. You can have most of your cookies right on the shelf. But you could miss the main point. You could be doctrinally right and miss the main gospel point. Uh, this is a church uh, that's, that's called to come back to their first love. Their zeal has grown cold, and now Jesus is sounding the alarm. And our task before us tonight is to look at Judgment Day with honesty. Has this begun to happen to us? Have we lost our first love? Are we kind of coasting, maybe? You know, we've, we've, we've read Grudem's. We've read the Nine Marks books. We kind of get it. But are we coasting? Are we coasting away from our first love? Are we coasting away as a Christian? Committed, yes. Orthodox, yes. Even diligent, yes. They called out the false apostles. They called out the Nicolaitans. They were right. They were right in their doctrine. Mostly. But somehow they lost their gospel love. This is the description of what a conservative church could become. We could have all the ducks right and we could absolutely miss it. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells a story in his commentary about this passage. It's a man who had professed faith in Jesus, but he had drifted very far from Christian faithfulness. He'd abandoned both of his first loves. He'd abandoned his wife, and he'd abandoned Jesus. He had an affair. His marriage consequently crumbled. And then, of course, as the way this always goes, Brothers, don't forget this. His mistress left him. Don't forget that. And then his money ran out. And then, of course, he was alone and he was utterly miserable walking the streets of London. And as Lloyd-Jones tells the story, this man began to contemplate suicide. But on this occasion, he set up to walk across the Westminster Bridge. He was going to throw himself into the, into the River Tame and end it all. But when he got to the bridge at 6.30 p.m., Big Ben rang its big bell. And he remembered that Dr. Lloyd-Jones does a Sunday evening service. And so he thought to himself, well, I, I, I may as well go over to Westminster Chapel. Because, of course, Dr. Lloyd-Jones must be entering the pulpit right now. And 
on a whim, he said, I'm going to listen to the doctor one more time. Gets to the church, walks through the foyer, goes up to the balcony, and as Lloyd-Jones begins his pastoral prayer, these are the very first words he hears as he enters the church. God, have mercy on the backslider. Oh God, have mercy on the backslider. And the Lord gripped the man that day, that evening. And it was in a moment, it was in an instant that he was reversed. It was a moment of repentance for him. God saved him. God restored him. And you know what happened to that man? He went on to be an elder in the church. He served as an elder in the church in London. And he died a victorious, triumphant death. And he was clinging to Jesus Christ. So I just want to plead with you. If maybe you've tuned in because a neighbor has told you or a friend has told you, there is an immediacy to this. Jesus is telling the church, I am going to remove your lampstand if you don't come back to me. But he's offering you mercy and grace at the same time. He's saying, you can come back to me. He's saying, I don't, all of the sins you've committed, you've tubed the faith, you've tubed your marriage, you've tubed your family, all of it. I will receive you now. Come to him today. Come to him today. Repent of your sin and trust him. Say, I've been a sinner. I've not loved you the way I should have. I remember the faith that my mom or dad gave me as a kid, maybe. And I want to come to you in faith and trust. I see the loving arms of a Savior, and I want to fall into them. You can. You can do it by faith this morning. Let's look at something else. Let's go back to verse 2. He says, I know your works, I know your toils. Jesus sees and acknowledges diligence. There's things here that he sees. He acknowledges and he respects and he encourages a hardworking church. The word toil here could even be translated, if you look at the, at the original language, trouble. I know your troubles. That's how the Ephesian church went about serving Jesus. They, they, they took on troubles. They were painstaking in their diligent effort to do gospel work well. I think that's our church. I think we do a good job of caring for one another, even to our own pain, even to our own hurt. And Jesus does not push that out. Don't miss the sandwich here. What he says in the first couple of verses about them pushing out false apostles and what he says about the Nicolaitans, he never says it's a bad thing. He commends it, actually. He's going to say something in the middle, and we've, we've hit that a few times already, but he's saying what, they, the, 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 what, what, what they're doing on the front and back is actually good. 
I see that in our church. That we actually go through painstaking troubles. We actually, to our own hurt, I, I, a story, it's, it's small. This is not necessarily painstaking, but uh, uh, one of the community groups this week went and visited uh, Julie Anderson and did a drive-by baby shower. That's beautiful. It's not a huge sacrifice, I know. But that's a, that's a church that is, wants to care for people. They want to do what's right. We are a church that wants to care for people and do what's right. And that's a beautiful thing. And Jesus commends that. Second thing, still in verse 2. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. It's a persevering church. It's a church that perseveres. Or verse 3, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and have not grown weary. That's a, con- that, 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 that's, that's a, a commendation. I almost said condemnation. Never thought of how close condemnation and commendation are. <laughs> that's a commendation. He's commending them. You have not grown weary. You've been enduring patiently. It's a commendation, isn't it? Growing weary and doing well is so terribly easy to do. But the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, they've stuck it out with determination and grit and fortitude and patient endurance. I just want to commend that to you. I see that in our church. And I want to commend you in that in our church. And I want to encourage and exhort you to keep doing that. Keep doing it. It's so easy. Like I said in my opening announcement, two weeks ago, the, the, the word I was hearing from the congregation was, I, I don't think I talked to anybody this week. But this last week, I've heard... I feel like a lot of people have reached out to me. This is what the apostle is telling us this week. This is God's word to us this week. To continue to persevere. To to continue to reach out to care. Meet needs. Text. Email. Call. You know, a lot of us received a stimulus check in the last couple weeks. Find out if there's a need. Is there someone that is missing rent? missing slack on a mortgage. Let's, let's continue to persevere together. And third, they're an Orthodox church. They're a hardworking, persevering, and thirdly, an Orthodox church. They love sound doctrine. Verse 2 still. We're camping out in verse 2. You cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found to be false. As I said already, verse 6, yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans. Uh, I've alluded to it a few times. Commentators are kind of split on what a Nicolaitan was. Uh, It seems like it could have been uh, St. Nicholas who was uh, imbibing Ephesian culture. Ephesian culture was very sexual. So it could be followers of St. Nicholas who have imbibed sexual 
Ephesian culture. That's just a could be. I'm not, I'm not making a definitive comment on it. But that's what, that's what G.K. Beale thinks, and he's kind of the definitive commentator on this. Um, anyway, but, but they've rejected it. The point is, is that they've, 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 they've grabbed onto sound doctrine. They're willing to make the hard call on, uh, on something that's clearly against God's word. And they're commended for it. Even though we don't know exactly what it was, they're commended for it. They're commended for grabbing sound doctrine. They're, war- they're, they're warned, they're well prepared. False teachers arise, just as Paul said that they would in Acts They've, they've carefully examined what has been said. They've scrutinized the message. They're like the Bereans, and they've dealt well with errors. The, the, the church in Ephesus reminds me a lot of our church. You persevere. You've got sound doctrine. You're, you're able to, to, to be long-suffering and in difficult and challenging times, a sound church, a biblical church, a deeply orthodox church. So here it comes. But he tells them that they may get everything right and still miss it. They may get everything right and still miss it. And so in the middle he tells them three things. To remember, to repent, and to return. To remember, to repent, and to return. All in verse 5. Remember. Remember how it started. Remember how it started. Remember that it was Jesus coming to you. He's the one who converted you, changed you, saved you by his sheer grace and love. Remember. I remember how it was for me. I remember when I was 20 years old. I remember when I had that fresh, uh, deep love for Jesus. Uh, Vanessa showed me a, reminded me of a song this week as we were talking about this sermon because I was talking to her about Remember. And she remember, reminded me of that, uh, that Cademan's Call song. Now, I don't remember what it's called, but I'll, I'll put it on Facebook. Repent. And when you remember, repent. Verse 5. It means to change direction. It's a call to action. How matter-of-fact Jesus is to us. When you remember, turn. Your, your identity is not in being a doctrinalist. Your identity is not in getting everything right. Your identity is being found in Jesus. And third, of course, return, which is similar to repent. Verse 5, do the works you did at first. Do the works you did at first. Go return back to your first love. So let me, let me press it into us in a few ways and I'll close.
uh, getting doctrine right and getting the gospel right are not opposed to one another necessarily. They can be. But getting doctrine right and getting the gospel right are not necessarily opposed to one another. Remember, in this text, he never condemns them for getting doctrine right. He commends them for getting doctrine right. Always. By way of analogy, here's one way I thought about it. My love to my wife is more important to my love to my kids. My kids will thrive best if I love their mother first. But those are not opposed to one another. Loving my wife first is not opposed to loving my children second. My children will thrive if their mom and dad are completely committed to each other. That's what, I think that's the essence of what Jesus is saying to John here. Getting doctrine right is a good thing, unless it supersedes loving Jesus first. That's why back here on the wall, it says, our church exists to celebrate and display the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. And maybe we get off base sometimes. Maybe sometimes there's a tendency to make second things first. I wrote an email to the elders lately, because, you know, as many of you know, we're going through some kind of... uh, discussion, controversy about this thing about baptism and membership. It's called open membership versus closed membership. And I wrote a, a, a letter to the elders, and I said, I do not want to be known for being a closed membership church. I want to be known for being a church that preaches the gospel. But those two things are not in necessary opposition to each other. I want to be clear on what the Bible has to say about doctrine. I think God calls us to that. In fact, I think that's one of the clarion calls of this generation, is that what people need, what the world needs, what Portland needs, is people who take the Bible seriously. And if the Bible says something about ecclesiology, we have to own it. We have to believe it. We have to obey it. But it's not the first thing that this church should be known for. The first thing this church should be known for is the fact that we love Jesus Christ and we embrace his gospel and we just sing and declare that we are saved by grace through faith. We're not known for whether we're a public school or a homeschool church. We're not known for a church that's Democrat or Republican. We're not Biden or Trump. We're not wives work or don't work. That's not what we're about. It doesn't, it, 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 it's not what we're about. We can have opinions about those things. We can discuss those things. But what we are about is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And you can find your hope and your rest and your identity and that this morning. There's great hope in this passage. There's great hope in this passage because there's an offer to repent and return. So if we've missed it, let's repent and return. Let's thread the needle. 
Doctrine matters. He commends the church in Ephesus because of their care for doctrine. And let's make the gospel the most important thing. Pray with me.